Welcome back to Trope Stories, a show about photographers, creatives, streamers, makers, entrepreneurs, and their personal journeys. I'm Terry Mayday, and on today's show is Vivian Liu. Vivian founded Hong Kong-based Studio Unit, where she creates work across creative disciplines, including photography, architecture, and interior design. She has been awarded Best Photographer by Hashtag Legend, 10 Best Photographers to Follow by Prestige HK, HK Tatler, Time Out HK, and Culture Trip. Her work has appeared in the global launch campaign of the Nikon Z7 mirrorless camera, Design Boom, and Adorama's Through the Lens series. She has collaborated with brands like Nike, Apple, Chanel, Casetify, American Express, and more. Vivian has lived, studied, worked, and traveled across the globe from Hong Kong, the UK, Canada, the US, and mainland China. This is her story. Hey, Vivian, good to see you. Hey, Terry, how are you? Good. We are lucky to have you on the show today. I say today, we should clarify you're 14 hours ahead of us. You're on a rooftop in Hong Kong. We are at Trope HQ in Chicago. How is uh, life in the pandemic in Hong Kong? It's tough. I mean, I would admit it, but um, I think it could be worse here, to be honest, because I think people had the experience of SARS before, and I think a lot of people are, you know, especially the older people are quite prepared because <laughs> they've been through it before. Um, wow. And uh, I think generally people are quite well disciplined here. And, and what is your current state of mind? Are you feeling, is it creativity, resiliency, survival mode? During the slower period, I think there was definitely some creativity going on because I was like, you know, what can I do or what can I um, start to uh, put more value to myself to kind of um, get things going again, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I decided to kind of look into ways to master my craft a little bit more. So maybe even taking my, um, you know, my, my skills to a kind of next level. So what I was doing was I looked at a lot of online tutorials and, you know, um, also taking on a lot of different types of jobs, such as product photography, which I needed, I think, a lot of tutoring on. So a month prior to the job, I was actually reading on and um, kind of looking at tutorial nonstop before the shoot. And I think that paid off pretty well. And I think I was quite happy with the results. So, um, you know, definitely, if not creativity, um, something to kind of level up um, and do something I wouldn't think about doing or have the opportunity to do. That's very cool. You know, during this time that's that's impacted, you know, the whole world, really, did you find yourself, you know, more connected to social media? Did you pull away from social media? Um, I think there was a period of time where, um, you know, it was very uh, monotonous, if that is the right word to use, because I think 
you know, I think everyone is stuck at home and um, I think everyone was trying to figure things out. And uh, I feel like the pandemic uh, was a constant topic. And prior to that, specifically to Hong Kong, there were, um, you know, the social movements and the protests. So for me, um, for a while, like social media content was pretty much of the same like topic and mm. um, same conversations and same discourse, you know, on politics or um, the pandemic. Um, so I think for me, creative wise, uh, I think definitely people had creative ideas to do like, you know, um, home shoots and FaceTime shoots and things like that. But I think in a way it's still very limited so to me, I think social media became um, less of an inspiration to me. Uh, yeah. So I started looking outside. So, um, you know, things like what we already talked about is to kind of um, internally kind of improve myself and, and thinking of ways where I could, you know, learn new things at home and um, not rely on social media that much. Wow, that's very cool, Vivian, because I think so many people just stood still, yet you decided to, you know, kind of jump in. And I think, you know, we're all looking for blessings, honestly, during this pandemic, right? It's, it's overwhelming in so many ways that it's, it's inspiring to hear that, you know, you've, you've pressed on and you've found ways to stay inspired and stay creative. It was out of like, you know, what it was a kind of like a desperation to, to kind of think about, okay, um, there's nothing to do. Now. Like, what should I do and what is possible to do? And um, the natural step was to say, okay, let's, let's add value to myself, you know, and um, trying to do things that I wouldn't normally uh, do and take jobs that I wouldn't normally take and try to just throw myself out there and say, Hey, I'm willing to try anything. And, um, in the course of doing that, like kind of learning new skills. You know, we're getting a sense of the urban density just in the, in the backdrop, even on your rooftop right now. I, I would imagine that being in Hong Kong during the pandemic created even more challenges because there's, there's not enough space. Yeah, it's weird. I don't feel it uh, particularly. I think, um, Good. first of all, because I think everyone is so used to the density and um, like mentioned before, like, I think a lot of people went through SARS and, um, immediately everyone started wearing masks and, um, didn't go out as much because they knew what the risks were. Um, and I think, you know, gladly we had that experience and I, I don't, I, I actually didn't feel like it was a real threat, uh, with regards to density because everyone was just so alert and so well prepared and and people just didn't want to go out even because of you know they know they know what the the consequences are we sh we should be learning quickly from you we've talked about the urban density but as a contrast there is beauty very close to you sometimes when you're immersed in the markets and the food stalls and the and the streets of, of Hong Kong and the neighborhoods, you, you forget that there's beauty a short car ride away. And we've experienced that with you 
Can you just take us through what that feels like when you get a chance to like reflect and walk out and, and hike up, for example, overlooking Kowloon? I think the beauty about, you know, living in a place like Hong Kong is you can get away uh, from this urban density um, within like a 30 minute car ride. So, you know, it's hard to describe, but you know, one minute you're you're in the thick of, you know, the city, one of the densest cities in the world. And I think the next moment you're up on on a mountain peak looking down on this density. And I think um, it's definitely um, a blessing for me to be able to do that. And I feel like, you know, people in Hong Kong are very lucky to have a um, you know, have a geography like that and um, the proximity, you know, to take in a breath of fresh air, um, you know, basically next to your doorstep compared to some cities, right? And, and you know, I feel definitely like I feel every time I go up there, I look down and I'm like, wow, it never fails to amaze me. You know, even to somebody who partially grew up in Hong Kong, um, you know, how, how dense the city is. And right next to it is the sharp cutoff line of where, you know, a forest of buildings meet, you know, an actual forest of trees. And uh, yeah, it still amazes me to this day. That's so cool. When we spent time with you, we, we felt so lucky to experience it too. Vivian, I'd like to catch up on business. You're, you're an entrepreneur, you're an accomplished photographer, talented architect and an interior designer, and you run your projects through your creative shop called Studio Unit. How has your business changed in, in the last couple of years? Um, so I started Studio Unit uh, combining like my passion for architecture and my passion for photography. Um, so it, it actually literally started that way. Um, like you mentioned, I did a, a few architecture and interior design projects. Uh, while I was doing photography. And this was about two, three years ago. Um, it proved to be very uh, taxing in terms of you know, management and resources. So I think um, around that time, like two, three years ago, I, I had the thought about, you know, maybe I should focus on either one thing, right? But I think um, photography was really happening for me during that time. Um, so, you know, I was kind of inclining to uh, really just focus on photography. And then the past year or so, like, you know, there were the protests and um, of course now the pandemic. Um, so that kind of uh, propelled the, the idea to kind of just, you know, really specialize and focus on one thing instead of spreading the resources kind of thin to, to kind of work on architectural projects on one hand and photography projects on the other. And so right now, um, I just made the full on switch basically and just said to myself, hey, look, um, you know, if I were to cover both areas, I'm gonna hire a team and, you know, I'm gonna need a bigger office and the overhead is just, uh, it, it's, it's kind of yeah. a lot to, Kind of handle especially in an economic climate like this so i'm kind of glad that i downsized a little bit um, in order to focus on photography and and kind of broaden the spectrum in this world right like 
um, through everything we talked about, I think, you know, um, I'm beginning to understand that it's a very deep profession that, you know, I wouldn't even have an issue uh, to um, think about what to do if I were to specialize in, in one area versus, you know, having to traverse in both photography and architecture. Right. Right. But your versatility is, is actually amazing. Just given your, your visual breadth so far in, in the work that we've seen. I want to back up a second, Vivian, you know, you've, you've lived in certainly mainland China, Hong Kong, as well as the UK and Canada, and you studied at, at Harvard. And I'm, I'm curious how you ended up at, at Harvard and what you studied when you were there. I studied architecture there. Um, okay. And the reason I had wanted to study there was because, you know, I, I wanted to be exposed to an environment where people were, you know, we're at the top level of something, which I felt at the moment was something that I needed to experience <laughs> when I applied. Um, okay. So it was a bit of a challenge to myself. And also, you know, you know, what is it like working with like the most brilliant minds um, in the industry? Um, so, you know, I, I, I think um, in hindsight, it was a very stressful experience because um, you know, I worked hard and, and, and I think, um, more than actually learning from the professors, which, which was also rewarding experience. But I think what I took more from, um, going there was, uh, to just sort of observe and learn from your peers and, and kind of how to deal with, um, you know, uh, or, or having like a sense of constructive competitiveness. Yeah, I mean, the, the Harvard mystique is a, is a powerful force. I mean, were you inspired or influenced or, or even intimidated by the people around you? I mean, how did you handle that? Yeah, so I think um, I tried to let it kind of drive myself um, when I see, uh, you know, somebody do something brilliant or, you know, beautiful or like, I'm like, wow, you know, so you know, just just kind of knowing the levels of what people were capable of was enough to kind of inspire or to push myself to go even further. So I think mm. um, the experience was like, it was very interactive. It was never like kind of insular. So like okay. by talking to people to like, mm -hmm. you know, kind of um, looking at their work during, um, you know, midterms, um, was already a sense of inspiration because you get you know so much talent kind of congregated in one place and mm. you know you could just learn from anyone at any time and, and and i think in hindsight i think that was the most rewarding experience that I, I i gained from that you know more about this than than certainly i do but they talk about educational kind of transformation or learning to learn so to speak you you must have already been though a critical thinker and a, and a progressive thinker that just wanted to learn everything you could about whatever subject you were studying? In my undergraduate studies in architecture, I think they already trained you to be a critical thinker. 
Okay. Um, so, uh, so the postgraduate at Harvard just took it up a notch. You know, it was, it was like, it was, it was like what I already knew, but like even more intense um, and, and kind of um, going through that intensity, just, you know, um, sharpening um, the way you work uh, under pressure, under deadlines um, and uh, kind of training you to, um, like you said, be a critical thinker even more. Um, so then your mind kind of uh, tries to think of the best way possible under, you know, the least time possible. And I think, right, I right. think, I think that's, that's very important uh, as a designer and a critical, critical thinker to uh, solve a problem using the best solution with the least amount of time. And I think that is... You know, that's the most rewarding experience that I, I got out of my whole career in architecture education. Well, you, you verbalize it and you summarize it in a way that it sounds perhaps easy, which of course it isn't. But is that kind of like creative problem solving? Is that something you, you carry with you today? For sure. And I think it's, it's, it's a lifetime of, of training. You know, it's not like, oh, I went went to Harvard and suddenly right. developed the skill. And I think it's a lot of like tears and blood and sweat you know? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> to kind of get to where I am right now. I'm not saying that, you know, I've perfected it or anything or or even I'm, I'm good at it. I think I'm still like a student and I'm still learning every day on how to tackle, you know, difficult problems and and you know, solving them in the best manner and the least time possible. And I think that is definitely where, um, you know, where a skill where it would be very useful, especially if you have a business in a time like this. I want to read an excerpt from the introduction that helps set up the visual journey we're about to take in the book. This was written by editor Sam Landers. Being there explores the dialogue and tension between people and spaces through portraiture, landscapes, and street photography. From the urban density of Hong Kong and Tokyo to epic natural landscapes in mainland China. With an architect's artful eye, Miss Lu showcases this juxtaposition in the most beautiful way, sharply highlighting her eye for patterns and symmetry across settings. Let Vivian Liu transport you to the places she's traveled and meet the people she's encountered in her first solo publication, Being There. Vivian, congratulations. I'm holding your book, Being There. Thank you. Poetic words from Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I think it sets it up. It sets it up very nicely. And we're gonna go through many images in the book, starting with the front cover. Where did you shoot this? What what neighborhood is this in? Um, so I shot this in a neighborhood in Kowloon called Yaomate. And um, I don't know if you noticed, but um, there's a lot of car shops um, and, and cars being fixed along the side of the road. Um, so these signs that you're looking at behind the model um, is either for like hardware stores or uh, auto repair shops. That's very cool, a lot of texture. Vivian, on page 12, 
I'm kind of struck by the scale where we're on the streets of Hong Kong, which to me, after visiting Hong Kong, I know that it's, it's hard to get a shot with very few people or, or the least amount of activity in your composition, which means early days or very long days, right? To be able to get a composition that feels so quiet. Uh, for sure. Um, I think there has been a time where I did a sunrise like two days a week. Um, but in this particular shot, you'd be surprised to know it's actually during sunset. Um, and sunset around Hong Kong is like rush hour, right? So this, this photo was actually taken during rush hour. And I think I either lucked out on this photo with the amount of people or um, they're just hidden in the shadows on the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like you do get cases where, you know, there are breaks um, where a busy street would just have, you know, no one on it. And I think that's the beauty of, of Hong Kong. Like, you know, there are parts of the city where it's very built up and there's a lot of people and there's other parts of the city where it's built up and, and it's just, you know, quiet sometimes. Pages 14 to 17, Vivian, some striking architectural images here that are, you know, very precise, very technical, but also emotional. I'm assuming you learned to see these building patterns when you were studying architecture. Yeah, I think for a while, like, you know, this is during the early stages uh, chapter in the book. Um, for a while, I only saw photos this way you know it was the only way I knew how to shoot because um, coming out of architecture fresh um, and and kind of being a self-taught photographer like honestly there were not a lot of skills that I knew about photography when I first started and taking these pictures so these were the first things that I noticed so I'm like okay I'm gonna go out there um, with my simple camera phone <laughs> and start snapping lookups of um, courtyards and shiny buildings like you see in these pages and uh, for for a while like um, I was only taking photos like this and I think people started knowing me for photos like this uh, and it all came from my background of, of kind of seeing space in a very technical way almost like a like a drawing that's very cool on page 26 Vivian, throughout the book, you have incredible streetscapes and the way that you shoot the streets and the markets is, is really stunning. But you have equal talent when you shoot portraits, which not everybody can do both. And I wanna to talk to you about this, this image on page 26. Even, even before we get into the photo, can you just take us through the planning that's involved in a portrait shot the hair and makeup, the location, the wardrobe, incredibly important decisions that are being made in advance, I'm assuming. Sure. Um, so in this particular photo, it was one of my more planned shoots because uh, even with portraiture, I like to be a, a bit more spontaneous. But I think mm. um, this was way later, you know, um, down the road from the, the pictures we just talked about. So I decided to venture into portraiture and then, you know, um, not leaving the theme of Hong Kong um, because 
you know, that's uh, what I I love about shooting pictures in the city. Um, right. I wanted to stay with the theme, and in this particular photo, um, I was inspired by a um, famous local director called Wong Kar Wai. And uh, one of his favorite movies is called cool. In the Mood for Love. I think everyone who's interested in Hong Kong photography and and the mood of Hong Kong should definitely watch that movie. Um, but uh, after seeing that movie um, and looking at this picture, I think you can definitely see where the inspirations come from. And I especially picked the location and um, the wardrobe and the hair, like based on the characters of this movie. And it's funny because um, you're looking at the first picture where I'm actually using studio lighting. So I bought my first set of studio lights and um, used this shoot as a um, kind of test to kind of use this setup and, and to try to cast some like, uh, you know, blue light on her, mm. her face to kind of complement the warmth of the background you see there. She looks beautiful and I, I love that picture. Yeah, she's a beautiful model. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> that, that always helps. Vivian, on pages 28 to 32, I mean, boom, you are immersed in the streets. And I know that there's some controversy with the neon signs. I don't know if controversy is the right word, but can you help us understand, you know, vintage neon signs and, and what they mean to locals in Hong Kong? Right. So in these pages, uh, the photos were taken actually a few years back. And what happened in Hong Kong was uh, there was a new legislation that um, restricted the signs, uh, the size of the signs or, or billboards uh, to a certain length. So they don't um, cantilever out to the streets so much because of safety issues. Okay. So what the government imposed on um, was a kind of sweeping gesture to eliminate signs that didn't meet this requirement. And at the same time, like LEDs were, were kind of up and coming and it was mm -hmm. the new kind of signboard technology. So um, in the same period of time, a lot of these old school neon signs uh, started getting taken down and uh, replaced by kind of newer, brighter um, LED signs, which um, has a totally different ambience. Um, right. Because the nature of the light is just not the same. You know, the LEDs are brighter. They're like kind of not as easy on the eyes. Um, and I think it's because it's a relatively new thing, like people still had to learn how to design with it. Um, as opposed to neon, which has been around for like a hundred years, and right. people really kind of mastered the craft and and kind of gave it, you know, a lot of creativity. Um, on page thirty, you can see, you know, these signs in the shape of a bowl, and and you know, kind of um, the the designers being very creative with the borders and and the fonts and so on. I think these these are just not um, possible yet with with LEDs uh, at signs right. of this scale. I mean, just the the texture and reflections that they create 
are amazing and you've, you've captured them beautifully. Um, on, on pages 35 to 39, I, I am so curious now we're jumping into the food stalls and the markets. Did, I mean, this dude is intense. Did, was he aware that you were shooting? Uh, no, he wasn't. And I'm glad he wasn't because like now that I look at it, I was like, I can't imagine, you know, what he would say or what he would do if he found out about me kind of sneaking up on him like that. I mean, it, it has to be, you know, I would think kind of simultaneously thrilling as we look at the next few pages here. These guys are starting to make eye contact. Are they are they looking at you? Did they notice you? And are they happy, unhappy? Um, I think it really depends on the individual. Uh, I think some people just don't care. And others right. um, are generally not so happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I think in a few of these pictures, I did get you know, noticed by, by these guys. And um, I think on page 39, uh, 38, 39, this guy just started yelling at me as soon as I took the photo and I, I just had to run away. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there was these moments that, you know, definitely uh, were, were kind of scary and uh, you don't know what, how people would react, you know, after they noticed you kind of right. sneaking up on them and taking their photo. Pages 54 and 55, Vivian, is just a really powerful spread of, a, of an epic neighborhood. Where, where did you shoot this? Uh, so this was in Shangshui Po. Basically, what you see here is another victim of the, the legislation that passed about signboards. As you can see, a lot of them just stick out on the street. Um, and it's, it's not possible to do that anymore. And um, interestingly enough, um, I captured this photo at the right moment while they're taking it down. Because you notice, like, scaffolding around the signboards. Right, right. And uh, ironically, the scaffolding is, is for the workers to dismantle these signs and, and, and kind of retire them forever. So it's quite sad to me um, to, to, to kind of see this happen and um, kind of see this, a street like this sort of lose its character, you know. Um, definitely something, you know, like you said, um, was very emotional uh, for me to see them go. And, and I think, you know, uh, kind of enforces the, the value of photography uh, to kind of just capture a moment in time. And, and, and this moment would, may or may not happen anymore. That's actually incredible. When you think you're out there, Vivian, it might have just felt like an ordinary day. And as a creative person, you're, you're in the role of, you know, creativity and photographer capturing an image, but you were actually capturing history, which I'm assuming you didn't know at the time. Uh, some of them, you know, for, for this, this particular shot, you know, of course there were scaffolding and, and I knew right. like this was all going away. Like it's even now in, 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 in a book and, and you're looking into the past and thinking, oh, wow, like um, these used to give the streets so much character and, and now the street is just, it's just a normal street. <laughs> looking at these photos just evoke the same emotions and, and, and sentiments that kind of took place during the time when I was taking these photos. Page 56, 
we are back to the urban density that we know so well. And this neighborhood you've set up beautifully, Vivian, as part of the introduction that you wrote. And I'd like to, to read that now. Ever since I started photography, I've become more in touch with my senses. The sights and sounds, which I used to know and couldn't previously describe, materialized into one image after another. Through photography, I was made aware of the details and the ingredients from which my memories were made, especially of places like Hong Kong, where I grew up. The smell of incense burning against a bustling street, the humidity of the summer air, the color temperature of street market lights, and the ambient glow of a red and green neon sign. The photographs I take of these little things become memorabilia for the future. They remind me of the places and faces I have encountered. Just like being there all over again. Vivian, that, that is so well written. It, it gives me chills. You're clearly a, a good writer and a, and, a, and a great photographer as well. What I take away from that paragraph is you found your voice through your camera and through photography. Um, and that is exactly what happened. Um, I think one of the joys of me going around taking photos is that, you know, I am now able to express myself um, exactly the way that, uh, you know, my memory kind of had it, you know, before I had a camera, if that makes sense. So when I took a picture like the one on page 56, I'm like, aha, you know, this is the feeling that I got, you know, walking around these streets growing up here, either like, you know, as a teenager or, or, or even mm -hmm. younger. Um, this was the, uh, the textures that I remembered, uh, you know, especially being applied to older buildings like this um, that has been around, you know, since, you know, what, I was like very little, um, you know, these were the sights and sounds that I remembered and now I've, I'm able to visualize into a single picture and it's definitely like very inspiring creatively. But I want to touch on something too. You moved to Canada, I know, I think with your dad's work, right? You guys, your family moved to Canada. Right. And so it was upon coming back from Canada back to Hong Kong that you were sort of able to see elements that you grew up with and you saw them perhaps in a whole new way. Yeah, I think um, being removed from this environment uh, for a while and uh, just coming back to it amplifies these memories. You know, it's like, oh, mm -hmm. right. You know, uh, I used to be able to see these things and, you know, Canada, uh, when I moved to Toronto was a completely different landscape from things you'd see um, in this book, right? Uh, you know, there's, it's like huge suburbia. Uh, um, and even if you're in the heart of Toronto, you don't see the same kind of density right. and the same right. kind of textures. So, so coming back to Hong Kong, like, uh, and, and looking at all of these um, definitely provided um, a, a reinforcement um, to these sights and sounds and senses. Um, and, uh, when I became uh, familiar with the camera and knowing how to portray these spaces, um, that was definitely very liberating and, and kind of um, like a inspiring moment to uh, be able to kind of re-evoke 
um, these memories back yeah. into uh, reality in the form of photos. We're making our way down to pages 63 to 71, Vivian. There's a group of images here. And, and I will admit this is not the most admirable quality, okay? But I am jealous because as much as we love Chicago, it, it doesn't look like this. It's, it's not as, as grand and, and I guess I would say epic. You have mountains and you have in many cases, you know, futuristic architecture. And of course you also have water. And those three elements just combine for some incredible scale that's really, it makes Hong Kong very, very unique to photograph, I think. For sure. And I think um, as a photographer, we're definitely very lucky to be in a city like Hong Kong. Being able to see it from above really gives you this incredible scale. And on the following pages here, actually there's, there's an image on page 72 and 73, Vivian, this spread. I just love, where did you capture this vantage point? Um, so this was taken in an area called Tin Shui Wai, and um, it's in the new territories, and it's one of the okay. newer housing developments. Um, as you can see, it's very dense, and it's full of residential buildings. Um, but I think, interestingly enough, um, this is so far up north, uh, in the new territories that it's actually bordering Shenzhen, which is a Chinese city. So <laughs> uh, where my drone is actually uh, to get this vantage point is actually very, very close to the border between Hong Kong and China. That is very cool. On the next page, this direct look down from the drone is, is just striking. I think there's more than a dozen basketball courts just in the one composition. Do you do you play basketball? What does what does basketball mean to to locals there? No, I don't play basketball, but um, I think these courts you see is the result of um, I think people just uh, making the best use of space. You know, mm -hmm. there's a rooftop, and then you know people put a basketball court on top for recreational right. purposes. And I think in a lot of these cases, like even if you don't play basketball, you know, every school, you know, every housing estate has one. And I think spaces like these become community spaces where kids hang out and just do a variety of activities other than basketball, you know, like, um, you know, on a lunch break, they would just sit and chat um, and, you know, uh, fly drones like me. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Pages 76 to 79, you know, you can only get these shots from a drone. Just to see this scale, it just feels like intensity to me. There's, there's just not a lot of space between the buildings. You know, it's like the reverse of the lookups in your images that are earlier in the book. It's like the exact opposite look down. And getting this scale from a drone is, is pretty incredible. Right, it is. And I think um, with technology, you are enabled to kind of get new vantage points. And uh, I think these are, these are the results of that. And previously, you weren't able to kind of look at the city and portray it in this way. And now with the rise of drones, um, 
you know, I was able to uh, have a new tool to play with and, and, and kind of show the city and, and photograph the city uh, as a kind of inverse of the look up. <laughs> it's very cool. How are your drone skills these days? Are you still flying a lot? Um, you know, I will say it's a little scary flying in a city this dense. And I think, you know, these pictures were taken when the whole thing was just very new and, and I was to try everything with the drone. But I think looking back, I feel like it is quite scary to, to kind of fly over a dense city like this. So um, I try to limit it as much as possible. And, um, you know, if there's a job that really requires it, I'll do it. But um, I'm not like leisurely flying my drone over these tall buildings as frequently yeah. now nowadays you talked about how it's yeah it's so dense and it's hard to you know it's not only hard to fly i'm thinking the takeoff and landing is really hard yeah that's another um that's another consideration um i think i don't worry about that as much as just losing signal about above these towers because there's just so much interference On the next page, you actually mentioned the word tranquility, which I'm curious about because I would think that it's a daily pursuit in some regard, this sense of trying to get at least some kind of moments for yourself in, in such a busy city. Um, so I think tranquility, surprisingly, is not hard to find if you know where to look. Um, so uh, in this shot on page 50, personally, I feel tranquility happens when you're on the Star Ferry, um, which takes you back and forth between Hong Kong Island and Kowloon across Victoria Harbor. Who would have thought, you know, some, some mode of transportation that happens in the middle of the city in the CBD would provide you a place of tranquility. On the next few pages, Vivian, we're moving to mainland China, which to me, these are not only, you know, scenic and, and stunning, but for me, they're surprising because I have made almost 10 trips to China and I've never been here. I, I can say I'm certainly adding this to my next itinerary. I'm going to make time for this. Can you help me with the pronunciation and just walk us through these images? This is a city called Zhangjiajie. And um, it's in the Hunan province of China. Um, and I think <laughs> you probably know it for um, being the backdrop of the movie Avatar. Right. And it's got these beautiful like needle-like um, mountains that just rise up from the clouds. And um, definitely uh, becoming, actually, if you want to go, you should pick it up quickly because I think it's fast becoming like a, a hot tourist destination. I think first of all, because of the movie and second of all, right. um, I think because a lot of people are, are kind of popularizing it on social media. Okay. Well, you got there before the, before the trend. How lucky do you feel though, that as an artist, as a creative, as a photographer, you are able to have been to so many places and you've been able to capture and tell stories with your camera 
And in some ways, that is a reflection of who you are. I think while I was traveling and doing, taking all these pictures, like I never thought about it this way. I think it was just a thing to do at the time. But <laughs> I think, especially okay. during now, in, in, in a pandemic, and uh, we were not able to travel and, and looking back at these photographs in the book and kind of having people bring this whole issue up, I feel like I was very lucky to kind of have these opportunities to travel freely and to uh, even on work trips to kind of freely express myself and my, my point of view of these new places that I'm seeing through the lens. And um, definitely now feeling very lucky. Vivian, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you today. I, I hope next time we're able to do this. We're together on a rooftop in Hong Kong, but I just want to say from, from our trope family to you and, and to your family, we wish you all the best. Thank Bye. you, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for that. Okay, see you Thanks later. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to our conversation with Vivian Liu, who can be found on Instagram. You can subscribe to Trope Stories wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Trope Reader, find us at trope.com, or on YouTube at Trope Publishing Co., where you can see the video version of this interview. This episode was executive produced by Sam Landers and Terry Mayday, camera and audio Oscar Ayella, production engineer Jeremy Garco, editorial Mayday Productions, Music by Universal Production Music. Location footage directed by Terry Mayday. Trope Publishing Company is a platform for creators, storytellers, and imaginative business minds. Creative director Scott Yanzi, producer Lindy Sinclair, designer Jack Van Boom, and marketing by Hannah Kopak. You've been listening to Trope Stories.